This podcast is brought to you by eBay, the original destination for thrifty secondhand fashion. Welcome to my podcast, This Old Thing, where I ask my guests about their memories and stories around their clothes and delve into literally the fabric of their lives. I'll also share some thrifting tips and ask my guests to as well. And who better understands the force of good by selling secondhand clothes than the CEO of Oxfam, Danny Sriskandaladra. And I know I've said that wrong, Danny, so will you correct me? No worries, Danny Sriskandaraja. Oh, because I nearly said it right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, so let's start. So Danny, um, I think your early life is super fascinating and kind of a testament to your, I guess, your brains and your, I guess, courage and lots of other things. Because you were born in Sri Lanka in the 70s in a community without running water or electricity. And and then the civil war left you and your family displaced. And then you went to Papua New Guinea in Australia. And then you came to the UK in 1988, I think it was, and you did a doctorate and you got a scholarship to, was at Oxford. Yeah. And I just think that's kind of amazing journey. Can you just tell me a bit about your early years, your early life? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Sri Lanka. That's where I lived um, with my grandparents on a little island off the coast of Sri Lanka. Um, but the civil war, which you know lasted many decades in the end, Uh, really ripped apart the community that I was living in. And um, so we left, um, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people from Sri Lanka. And in our case, we went via Papua New Guinea, where my parents got a a job teaching, then to Sydney in Australia, which is where I grew up. Um, Did my schooling there, my first degree. And then it was actually 1998 that I got a Rhodes Scholarship to come to to Oxford. Okay, so 10 years. No, uh, but then, yeah, I thought I'd come here to the UK for a couple of years and then go back to Australia and, uh, um, and you know, live there. But as often happens in life, I met a woman and uh, we decided that we'd, uh, we'd get married and, and we ended up staying in the UK. She's from Trinidad and Tobago. And so nice. the UK ended up being a, a sort of nice middle ground between Australia and Trinidad. And we've been here on and off for the, for the last 20 years or so. And, and do you think that seeing, you know, that early experience of seeing, I guess, hardship, you know, in a word, and then, and then, you know, having this very different existence in the UK, did that kind of trigger a passion for equality or uh, human rights, do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I rem- you know, one of my earliest memories of living in Australia, which is, you know, the first proper developed country I'd ever lived in the first country with a you know with tv stations and all sorts of amazing you know fast food restaurants um was I remember being 11 and um and doing my first charity fundraiser for an organization that actually became Oxfam Australia and we did a, a a what was called walk against want and the idea was you know we were raising money to to help people in poverty and um you know and then I did lots and lots of other things around you know again always around this idea that you know, we live in this deeply unfair world where if you happen to be born in a poorer part of the world, your life chances are just so much worse than someone who happens to be lucky enough to be born in a rich part of the world. Yeah. And that just seems, you know, unfair. You know, we have poverty in the world today, not because of scarcity, but because, you know, the resources we have 
have been badly distributed and yeah. we could so easily fix it and yet and yet uh, we haven't been able to and that's you know a lot of my career over the last 20 years has been working on one or other aspect of that injustice I suppose. But I mean you say could so easily fix it do you mean when you say easily do you mean in the sense of enough people getting on board with that because it doesn't seem easy? Well, I look, famines, let's, you know, we, I work for Oxfam, which was the Oxford Committee for Famine Relief. And for nearly 80 years, we've been, uh, you know, the core of what we've been doing has been around food and hunger. And, you know, what's become clear over these last few decades is famines happen not because of weather events, that's important, but or droughts, but because of political circumstances, because food is blocked from from being supplied or citizens rights to move have been restricted and we could fix those things you know there's plenty of food in the world to move you know if we moved that food to the places in the world where people are hungry we could prevent people dying tomorrow and yet the world has not devised that system and you know here we are in 2021 and there's more people in need of humanitarian assistance today than at any point since the Second World War. And that, to me, is a tragedy. Oh, gosh, that is a tragedy. I mean, you say it so kind of with such clarity. Uh, yeah, what well, it's just dreadful. Um, Danny, on to the Oxfam. And just talk to me about why promoting secondhand clothing as part of Oxfam's work and how that is used in fighting poverty and tackling climate change. One of the things I love about Oxfam is that um, it's been running charity shops, you know, almost since day one. We we opened the first permanent charity shop, we think anywhere in the world, in 1948 in Oxford. Wow! And it so came cool. about because um, the, the 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 committee members were raised wanted to raise money and take goods and you know donate things to people in in Eastern Europe and Central Europe after the Second World War. And they collected all these amazing donations and they said, well, not all of these things are suitable for, for transport. So why don't we sell them and make the money and then use those funds to help people in other parts of the world? And there began this journey. And today we've got something like 600 secondhand shops in, in the UK and in many other countries. Oxfam also runs these secondhand shops. And it's a part of our DNA that I, I'm really proud of because... We, you know, before we invented words like sustainable consumption and circular economy, Oxfam was doing these things. And I, I remember when I started, someone at Oxfam gave me a magazine um, from December 1975, which is the month I was born, as it happens. And if you open it up, it's got the sort of picture of our newly opened facility called Waste Saver, where we were taking donated clothes and find you know finding ways to recycle them or you know or use them for different purposes and the text says something like you know society needs to learn to reduce its consumption and reuse the things we have we've only got one planet and you know that text is just as relevant today as it was in 1975 and that's been part of our journey that we're not just raising money for doing the important work we're doing around the world we're also promoting this sort of culture change this behavior change this um, attempt to get ourselves weaned off our addiction to fast fashion you know that's that's been at heart of what oxfam has been trying to do over these years well i mean that is amazing and um you know in the, in the mid 70s for that message to be you know, it literally could be said today. Yeah. Um, so ahead of its time. 
Yeah. Well, it's a tragedy as well, though, right? He, You're absolutely know. right. It's a tragedy because it was totally... I know I actually saw a picture that Oxfam posted, Oxfam GB posted online. And it's, I, I reposted, actually. It's such a great image. It's of women looking super cool in Oxfam clothes, holding signs outside an Oxfam shop up north saying, buy Oxfam. And, they, and they're wearing clothes from the Oxfam donated goods, you know, from the shop. And they look so stylish. And, it, you know, they could, the picture could have been a fashion picture taken today. It was just a great image and it reminds me exactly what you're saying. To me, this is all new, by the way, right? So, you know, I, I come from the sort of international development sector, came, you know, feel privileged to work for this organisation that's been doing, you know, secondhand clothing for a long time. But like most people, I thought this was all just, you know, really drab stuff that, you know, people didn't want. And maybe, you know, if you wanted a party dress or something, you go to a secondhand shop. And then it turns out, it's actually really cool. And people like you, Bay, have made secondhand really cool. And that's, I love that idea that this isn't just about, you know, raising money. It's not just about saving the planet. It's also about being fashionable. Yeah, and, and original and, yes. you know, carving your own way with your own yeah. style and not being dictated to by huge marketing campaigns, right? You know. Yes, absolutely. Um, Danny, you know, Oxfam does so much work you know, on the ground, you know, in refugee camps, helping people dealing with the, the effects of climate change. Which elements, the, the work that Oxfam's doing now, I don't know if you can really answer this because I guess you feel passionate about all aspects of it, but is there one in particular that you're uh, most kind of, I don't want to say concerned about or that you're most um excited by or is there one element you could talk about in particular there's one thing that stands out for me which is the sort of oxfam angle on these discussions and and challenges and that's the sort of equity or the global equity dimension of climate change yeah. you know we we work across the world in some of the most you know poorest and vulnerable parts of the planet and what's clear is climate breakdown, the climate emergencies affecting the lives and livelihoods of people, of the poorest people around the world already. You know, we think something like 20 million people a year are already having to move because of extreme weather events like floods or droughts or wildfires. Uh, we already know that food security, you know, the ability of a farmer in Zimbabwe to be able to grow her crops regularly is being compromised by the climate changing and you know the sad thing for me is these are people who've had almost nothing to do oh. with causing climate change you know so the, the richest 10 percent of us on the planet are responsible for more than half of all emissions in the last 25 years and yet the poorest people on the planet are paying the price for our emissions and our, our bad behaviors in that sense and so uh, the, the one thing for me about these debates is how can we achieve, you know, urgent, dramatic, meaningful reductions in, in, our, in our carbon emissions so that we can reverse climate change so that we can make those lives of, of the poorest and most marginalised people on the planet a, a little bit easier, a little bit more secure, a little bit more certain. And I, I think that's a, you know, that's a really important part of why climate change matters um, and why it matters that we do things today 
and we can't just keep burning burning oil and gas and say well we'll just you know offset it and defer our actions till tomorrow because the impacts of climate change are real and they're happening today around the world yeah absolutely yeah it's outrageous when you when when you think of it like that how that could how that could have happened and and it has um, can you just give some practical solutions to the climate crisis for people companies and governments so for people i think you know the good news is it's becoming easier to take sort of everyday action to reduce our footprints whether that's you know buying secondhand clothes or just you know just reducing the amount of stuff we buy um, or switching our energy to a sustainable source you know there's a or driving an electric car every day there seems to be a new offer of how our own consumption can can be you know that much friendlier in terms of its environmental impact and that's that's good news i think and i just hope more and more people make that switch in those everyday behaviors i think companies have to be much more open and transparent about the impacts of their actions about you know what's happening in their supply chains are they um, you know, generating environmental damage around the world? Are they paying their workers a fair and decent wage? Are they treating their women workers with dignity? You know, there's a whole bunch of things that that the global supply chain of many of the companies we buy from, um, you know, there are some really, there's a dark underside to what's mm. happening around the world. And I think companies need to be much more open about that. And I hope much more ambitious about leading by example, and then governments, you know, here we are weeks away from these climate negotiations in, in Glasgow. We need governments to take urgent action, to create regulations that drive that sort of positive change. Um, and, you know, real commitments, again, about money and finance that goes to helping poorer countries adapt to climate change and help their people um, you know, become more resilient to the impacts of climate breakdown. And so, you know, wherever I look, there are opportunities for action and we just need people to sort of take those up and, and be responsible and, and, and walk the talk because uh, enough of these sort of warm words and vague promises. I know. I loved Greta Thunberg saying blah, blah, blah. Did you see her? She gave yeah. a speech ahead of COP26. Yeah. And... And that's, and you know, the, the good news again feel. is, exactly, it is how we all feel. And that's the point that there is, I think, more awareness, more consciousness amongst people about the importance and the urgency of these debates. And so I hope politicians are getting that message that we are not going to put up with more blah, yes. blah, blah. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we're not, we're not stupid. Like you can't fob us off. Yeah. Um, what are your biggest concerns and what gives you hope? Well, let's start with the hope. I'm really inspired by the levels of activism that I see around the world from young people, but also from older generations who are mobilizing around climate change. But also, you know, for the first time in my career, people are starting to see the linkages between these various struggles and, you know, between climate change, between human rights, between gender equality, and that's really inspiring because, you know, we as, you know, we need to respond to some of these challenges and see those linkages. But I am also worried about, you know, the fact that that solidarity that we urgently need isn't happening. If you take the, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, which surely, 
is the most obvious example of why humanity needs to come together. You know, it's truly the case that no one is safe until everyone is safe. And we need a sort of global strategy to fight this pandemic. And yet we're seeing, you know, country, rich countries hoard vaccines. We're seeing rich countries prevent the sharing of the technology and the recipes behind the vaccines. And we're seeing you know, what some people are calling vaccine apartheid, where those of us lucky enough to be in the rich world get several doses of vaccine, but tiny, tiny proportions of people in the poorer parts of the world are even getting an access to vaccine. And so, so sad. yeah, that, that worries me that just at this moment and where we should be standing together, we're falling into these old, um, you know, selfish positions, which is, you know, not in our common good. No, it's really not. Oh, gosh, I know. It seemed like when COVID was happening, there was this talk of change and, as you say, solidarity. And and then it you feel it's just shocking that that's happening straight after, you know, COVID. And I, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, can we just, I just want to ask you about landfill. I mean, it sounds like the climate change in terms of carbon emissions to do with new clothes and fast fashion is much more serious. But what are your thoughts on landfill? Well, I think we need to just reduce all that we consume, as you know, especially those of us in the ri- in the rich world have just got so used to consumption that the you know the entire economy, all the metrics we use about whether society is successful, rely on consuming ever more. And the natural you know um, implication of that is that we just have to pump out all this waste, whether that's gases in the air or or rubbish in landfill. Um, so we need to do better at that. And I think the you know, that's where I'm, I'm proud that, you know, when people donate clothes to Oxfam and we get something like 12,000 tonnes of clothing donated to us every year, none of that ends up in landfill. And the really exciting bits of what's happening is, is some experiments going on around what we call fibre to fibre recycling. I, you know, already apparently some of the expensive fibres like mohairs that, you know, where, where an item of clothing can't be sold, we're, we're working with others to try to extract the individual mohair fibres which can then be reused in, in new items of clothing containing mohair. And, you know, that's, I think, where we need to go in the world where eventually we'll be able to recycle, just like we do paper, we'll be able to recycle cotton or wool or mohair. And that, you know, and that will reduce the pressure on the planet in a huge way because, you know, the amount of water and energy needed mm. to grow some of the crops that are needed to, to fuel our fashion habit um, is you know has huge implications around the world, not just for the environment, but also food poverty, because that's the land, valuable land that should be used to be growing food crops, but instead is being used to grow cotton or, or you know other commercial crops. Yeah, fascinating. Danny, what would you like to see happen at COP26 in Glasgow in November? It, it, <clears throat> to the outside, to me, and to kind of the general public, it seems like such a big moment because it seems like the last chance for the powers that be to actually come together to change the way things are and to actually make a difference with the halt of climate change. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think, you know, the Paris climate talks a few years ago set the roadmap. What we need from Glasgow is the action plan. We need governments to tell us exactly what they're going to do to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees 
and that's what's been missing you know that's where we haven't been haven't haven't seen yet the real commitments about how we're going to urgently rapidly cut uh, emissions and coming back to this question about global equity i also want governments to live up to their promises of providing climate finance to poorer countries um, to compensate poorer countries for for the loss or the damage that climate breakdown is causing in in their parts of the world so urgent action and um, uh, 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 keeping promises to help poorer countries around the world adapt to climate breakdown i mean it's going to be an outrage it's going to be like huge outrage if that doesn't happen if promises aren't made and kept at cop 26 i feel like but yeah absolutely and it's up to no but it's up to each of us as well to hold our politicians to account on on this agenda exactly um, okay on to some you know some frivolity um <laughs> what's your best charity shop find ever um look so i'm a middle-aged man so i and I'm, I'm not sure I have a lot of um, uh, creativity around what I'm able to wear, but I love a good blazer. And, and um, a few months ago, I found a lovely Ted Baker blazer on the Oxfam online shop, which um, was very cool. Although, you know, the weird thing about being a middle-aged man is all the coolness is in the lining, right? These sort of this blazer has a lovely pattern with bright birds on it, but it's all hidden inside, inside the lining and the outside. It's just navy blue. But hey, I still like it. That sounds great. And what are the two things, items of clothing that you'd never throw out? So when I was 16, um, I got, I think I got given a kurta. So this is like one of those sort of long Indian tops. Um, and it's made of, of sort of raw cotton. It's not, it's a sort of unpolished cotton. And uh, it still fits me. Luckily, kurtas are sort of quite generous in their size. So I've got one of those and I wear it occasionally and I love it because I've had it for almost 30 years. And I also have this uh, jacket, a rain jacket that my dad gave me also around the same same time. It was his and then he gave it to me. And so it's probably like 30 odd years old. And I still wear that occasionally. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing about about old clothes is, you know, they, they, they become so meaningful. It's sort of full of memories and, um, and so much more fun to you to wear because um, it represents so much more than something you just bought off the shelf a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely. I totally agree. What would be your favourite style decade? I know it's not normally thought of as a cool decade, but for the 1990s, for me, was when, you know, I had money to buy clothes because I was a teenager and had a had a part time job, and I suppose I got to ex, you know experiment and express myself a little bit in my late teens. So that's probably my most memorable style decade. I love that. I mean, that's very cool of you, Danny, because actually the nineties is like seen as this super cool decade. But I love the fact that you think that it's not cool. <laughs> I think that's really cool. I think that's quite <laughs> sad that I didn't even know that it was super no, cool. But that. hey, I think that's I think that's super cool. What movie do you love the style of the clothes in? So not one movie, but, you know, the movies that Wes Anderson makes, like the Grand Budapest Hotel or the Darjeeling uh, Express or the Ten Royal Tenenbaums, they all, you know, the, the dress in those movies is almost as fun as the characters that wear them. And I just love it. Bright colours, quirkiness, um, just beautiful to watch. Yeah, so stylish. I mean, talk about creating your own world, right? Amazing. Mm. And who would be your style pinup? Um, Idris Elba. 
you know, he's always he always looks sharp. He often wears, you know, he's understated. He might just wear a blazer and a t-shirt, but he looks pretty cool. And I try, I try that look. I don't think I look that cool, but he's my icon. Yeah, he's he is gorgeous. Whose wardrobe would you most like to raid? So it's actually a designer wardrobe. Oswald Boateng, the you know the men's tailor. Uh, he's such a sharp dresser himself, and he makes beautiful suits. I can't afford them, but I wouldn't mind you know nicking some from his wardrobe. Um, or unless of course he's listening, Oswald. If you are listening, I'd love mm. a even a secondhand Boateng Aww. suit would be nice, wouldn't it? I think he should give you one, Danny. What was your latest best purchase from eBay? Well. I bought some football socks for my son who was uh, running out of uh, football socks the other day. But I also sell on eBay. You know, we've um, you can now donate uh, uh, all of your proceeds. So if I've got stuff that I can't take to my local Oxfam shop, I sell it on eBay and I give 100% what I earn to Oxfam. And so I've actually been putting stuff up on sale more than I've been buying on eBay in the last few weeks because we've been doing a clear out. That's great to know. Danny, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, This Old Thing. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, Bay. My tip this week is when you go thrifting, like make a day of it, get your favorite coffee, get your playlist on and go in there like buzzing, connecting. You're going to find something amazing if you go in full of energy and with a kind of spring in your step. Make a day of it. Treat yourself. Everybody, thank you so much for listening and please do subscribe and do leave me a review. And if you want to add anything or tell me anything, then I'm at Bay Garnet on Instagram and I'd always love to hear from you. And thank you so much. And remember, keep on thrifting. Thank you so much to eBay for making this podcast happen. <laughs>